welcome to Turn the Page, the official podcast of the Syosset Public Library. And welcome to Turn the Page. I'm your host today, Jen, and I'm here with the author of a really fascinating new history of uh, the video game industry that really made me relive a lot of my youth. <laughs> Could I ask you to introduce yourself and your book, please? Uh, yeah, my name is Chris Carton, um, and the book I've written is called The History of the Adventure Video Game, which is covers all the old uh, text adventures, point and click adventures, up to modern day kind of graphic adventures and things like that, because it's just a, it's a genre I've always been so fascinated with. Um, yeah, so I tried to cover as many as I could, hopefully keep people happy. Yeah, it's my favorite genre too, you know, and it's, it really made me look at it in a new way, because you know, I grew up playing like Myst and Seventh Guest and like the, the Monty Python games that came out in the 90s. Like there were a yeah. lot of those. And um, but I never would have called myself a gamer, you know, because I didn't mm -hmm. play like first person shooters or RPGs or, you know, sort of things that more traditionally, I think, get get associated with what we think of video games today. Um, so I'm curious, like, how did you get into writing about these? Because uh, you've written a lot about a lot of kinds of video games. Um, what, what drew you to video games in general and to this project? Um, well, when I got started writing, I, I knew that the publisher I'm working with now were trying to branch out and uh, do more video game books. So I just pitched it uh, as a, the original book was a guide to video game movies, which I thought was very niche and no one would have any interest in. <laughs> but it landed and they wanted to see it happen. So I wrote it. Um, but in the back of my mind, I was always thinking of this book because the adventure games are kind of the ones that I remember the most from when I was a child. Um, so I had that burning in the back of my head the whole time. And when it came to it and they were looking for a new pitch, I was like, I have this one that I'm very passionate about. And luckily, the guy I was dealing with at the publisher loves Broken Sword, uh, mm -hmm. that video game series. So he jumped on it straight away. And I was like, yeah, this is fantastic. Like the first game I ever remember playing or seeing from those really early days is Monkey Island. Mm -hmm. The first Monkey Island game on the Amiga. Uh, my mother playing that. So uh, for me, this is like the full circle project. I have to write about this because this is my first taste of gaming. And yeah, that's where it came from. Wow. I'm I'm sort of jealous about growing up in a gaming family because I did not. And so <laughs> the people around me viewed it as a waste of time. <laughs> but, yeah. um, you know, it's it's really interesting. I think it is a really cool genre and um, it, it is very expansive, too. Like it fills a lot of type of games, I think. Um, so before, you know, we get into it specifically, maybe just for our readers, could you talk about like what constitutes an adventure game? Yeah, that's true. Actually, it's it's a tough one to nail down that's why I think this book might please some people and not please others because I just had to define it myself at the start and I just thought you know it's all about the story it's all about the choices it's about being able to alter the world without having you know shooting things or you know like a first person game um, in a way then it's also a lot of the games you see nowadays that are the big blockbuster Hollywood style ones follow this template like it's it's about the story it's about the characters but it all goes back to these games they started it all. So I think anything where you can take control of this character, uh, engage in dialogue, you know, move the game world around to change the outcome. That's what these games are all about. And I think the input has changed over the, the years. You know, you're clicking with your mouse. Sometimes you're moving with a, a stick or a controller. But at their heart, they're all about the story for me. 
Yeah, and it is interesting through the book to trace how, um, you know, changes in the technologies sort of influenced how adventure games developed. Because uh, one of the things you write about is, yeah, how it goes from sort of like text-based games to uh, point and click, and then it gets a little bit more expansive from there. Um, when preparing for this book, did you like go back and revisit any of them by playing them? And I'm wondering, like, what is the availability of some of these old games? Like, can you play them on emulators or can you find them online or? Yeah, it was a tricky one. There, there's a mixture because uh, a lot of the really popular ones like Monkey Island or uh, Maniac Mansion and things like that have been re-released or remastered and stuff like that. They're easy enough to find. You can find them on Steam or you can find them on some consoles. Um, but yeah, there, there was some emulation involved because some of these games are so old and they just haven't been preserved. Like gaming isn't something that's as preserved as movies or books or stuff like that. You really have to root around to try and find access to them a lot of them luckily i had just played throughout my life i knew them like the back of my hand like things like uh, monkey island the disc world and uh, simon the sorcerer and games like that and uh, the seventh guest which i absolutely love um so yeah it was it was a mixture i i didn't you know i didn't if, if there was a game that i had played so much when i was younger i probably didn't revisit it i just looked up a few videos on youtube to remind myself of how they went but uh yeah there was a lot of rediscovery and a lot of discovery of new games that i didn't even know about um, GOG is a website that you can get, you know, legally <laughs> get good games on. Uh, emulation is a big part of it. And then, you know, watching this playthroughs on YouTube and stuff so you can see through games. If they're not accessible, you can watch someone else who's played them. Very cool. Fun research. <laughs> that is really fun research. <laughs> yeah. It blows my mind that, you know, some of these games that back in the 80s or 90s, like occupied multiple floppy disks or CD-ROMs, like now our phone <laughs> games, you know, like our phones can play them. <laughs> Like so true yeah i think i think the original monkey island that we had in our house like I, I could be blowing it out of proportion now i'm sure it's somewhere in my mom's attic but there must have been about 12 discs you know and you have to change them so often and something really exciting is about to happen and then it goes oh change to disc four and you're like ah <laughs> but yeah it's so funny yeah you can play them on your phone now and they download in like two seconds yes, it's wild like yeah just so much time waiting <laughs> yeah yeah you were more patient back then, though, I think. Oh, my gosh, yes. We did not think, you know, expect things to happen instantaneously. So yeah, we're spoiled. <laughs> I want to talk about something you mentioned before, um, which is that, you know, we're sort of starting to take these games more seriously now. And that's maybe why, like, a lot of them are available again. And, um, like, do you think that um, the fact that we see, finally, kind of see games as art in its own right, like, do you think that has sort of, like, um prompted like some of these games becoming available again or or presenting themselves either in the original versions or in updated versions i think it definitely has and i think um a lot of resort to other genres too like if you look at something like the last of us you know that was such a big tv event which came from a, a video game and they're so cinematic you know it, it didn't really need to be a tv show because the game itself is so story driven and all that kind of stuff so i think People, you know, from the, the Netflix era, let's say where you want to binge a TV show, you want a good story, are now seeing that these older games had those, you know, decades ago. But we just didn't, like you said, there was kind of a, not a taboo. It just wasn't appreciated that way. It was just something, it was a niche thing that some people did. Most people read a book or they watched TV. Um, and I think now that the story is coming back into gaming, uh, that's why these things are being revisited. Because people realize these are classic uh, stories that really influenced, you know, shows as well as as games so yeah i think that has a lot to do with it 
I am very interested in like the adaptation phenomenon, you know, and how that's really changed as the stories in games get more complex. Again, you know, we're sort of going back in that direction. But, you know, when they used to adapt stuff, we always used to talk about like, you know, in the 90s with Mario Brothers and stuff like that, like that there wasn't enough material to adapt, you know, and you had to add all this like story and characterization and lore like onto, you know, people traveling through sewers and jumping on turtles. (laughs) Now it's like, such a different problem like there's so much story in the game already and you kind of like with games like the last of us you know you play that game so much longer than you will spend watching a mini series you know that you actually have to cut That's right, yeah. the story <laughs> yeah and, and and if you look at you know the way they produced it let's say it, it is acting you know you you people in motion capture suits the way you'd have sam worthington or zoe saldana doing avatar mm-hmm. you know so these are actors in a studio doing you know saying a script and then to to directly translate that with live action actors doing a similar thing i mean it's great it is because it gets more people I- into the medium but it's, it's funny it's getting so close now it's like what's the difference i'd love to talk a little bit about um you know i guess like the spaces in the game industry that these games kind of occupy you know because like they're becoming more mainstream the sort of like story driven adventure games um but i feel like a lot of them are being produced by like indie uh, like outlets at this time and they're still be- they're becoming more mainstream but like you still have like the really big gaming studios working on I think like what we tend to associate with gaming in the mainstream like yeah the shooters and the war games and RPGs and stuff like that um, so I'm wondering like if you could talk a little bit about like where you think it's headed like do you think it's heading into like an even more mainstream area where maybe some of these big studios will start to pick up these types of games or like what do you kind of see the future for adventure gaming going i think if it is going to go that way and big studios are going to take them on it will still take a long time yet but there's promising signs like ron gilbert who uh, created monkey island you know he came back to do a sixth game in that series and he hadn't uh, done anything with it since the second game so obviously there's something there and i think you know think uh consoles like the switch where you can just say oh that's 2.99 i'll just get that now that's where you find these indie adventure games and i think they sell well um and i think they're you know when you have people like that veterans coming back and realizing oh this the 90s heyday isn't over now because mm-hmm. we all know there's more entertainment out there than there's ever been you know whether it's books or games or movies but if these uh you know, yeah, veterans are being drawn back. There must be something to it. I don't think we'll see the big, you know, uh, developers who make like Call of Duty and Uncharted and things like that. I don't think they'll take on adventure games, but I think it's up to these middle ground indie and double A, let's say, developers uh, to keep it going. And Telltale Games, who I covered in the book as one of the last chapters, they are kind of the modern example of that. And they did close down for a while, but now they're back with uh, a game based on The Expanse, that TV show that came out not that long ago. So there's a market there, you know, and I think the fact that we don't have to go to a store and buy a physical game anymore uh, is bringing it back to the fact that you can just sit on your couch and say, I want that game. It's cheap. Let's get it. I think accessibility is the main thing that's going to bring it back. I don't see it being mainstream, but it'll definitely get bigger. Mm, That's really interesting. Um, And I do think you have a point. And, you know, I think that you know, maybe it's good even that it's 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 been in the indie space for so long because it probably has afforded them a lot more creativity and like less uh, constrictions about being like other games that sell well and stuff like that. So because I think you do yeah. a lot more variety across adventure games than you get with like first person shooters or something like that. 
I agree, absolutely. And you're not going to, uh, with these games, go up and say, oh, I want to solve this puzzle. And there isn't going to be a pop-up saying, yeah, you have to pay $3 to <laughs> unlock yeah. this puzzle. You know, that kind of thing will never invade this space, I hope. Mm. That I could be eating my words in a few years, I hope not. So I think <laughs> that's what it is. It's like, you know, when you're buying a game like this, it's going to be probably funny, because a lot of them are. Yeah. It's going to be well uh told story it's going to make you angry and frustrated <laughs> because that's what they do you know i don't know how we got through a lot of these games when there was no uh, guide <laughs> readily available <laughs> um so i think that's what the charm is you know good story uh unique gameplay when you get a puzzle it's like oh that is the best feeling you know it's better than yeah a platform game or it's better than shooting someone in call of duty or whatever um so i think that's what it is it's not going to be taken over by the kind of monetization that's happening uh, a lot in gaming it's that's a complete product. Yeah, that's true. That's really interesting. And I think it has like a lot of, um, yeah, sort of, I guess, like protection from like trends and like market uh, valuations because of that. Um, could you talk a little bit about like what uh, some of your favorites were? You mentioned a couple when we started, like Monkey Island, but like, um, did you continue playing them like into the, you know, 20, the early 21st century? And like, what were ones recently that really grabbed you? Um, the ones recently that grabbed me, well, obviously the new Monkey Island that came out was, is mm -hmm. fantastic. I love that. Um, there's a game series that I have in the book called Deponia, which is kind of a hand-drawn uh, comedy, sci-fi, uh, uh, not apocalyptic, but kind of, yeah, um, series that I really enjoyed. Uh, I like going back and visiting The Seventh Guest again, because that's out on the Switch now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and in, in the 90s, it was just Monkey Island for me. I was a LucasArts uh, head in the 90s. Um, I was aware of things like Broken Sword. I played a few of them, but not all of them. I did for this book, which is great, because I got to go back and see that, you know, nostalgia is a thing, but also there's a reason they were so popular. Because even when you haven't played them, you go back here, like, I can get why uh, people enjoyed this. So, yeah, for me in the 90s, the, the main series for me were The Seventh Guest. Or, or, <laughs> sorry, Monkey Island and The Seventh Guest. Those two stuck out for me. I like the creepy uh, atmosphere of the seventh guest uh, the cinematic kind of the way they had live action actors and stuff in it really made it stand out and mist uh as you have mentioned before i just love that lonely atmosphere in that game i just really like that kind of uh it's minimalistic but it's also really complex because you know some of those puzzles are so mechanical and the head scratchers you know and you could have you know i can remember in loads of those games having all of my family around you know my mom was the one who used to play these games more than me almost and we'd all be gathered over her shoulder and like, can you see how to do this how do you do this? <laughs> and we'd all be like putting our heads together and trying to to figure it out so yeah th those are the ones that I and i did i did keep playing them not as much because i moved more onto consoles and they you know just weren't as big a thing you were, you were lucky to get one on a console uh mist was on the xbox and stuff like that but my friend had that and i played it a little bit um, but I did fall away from them, but I'm glad they've come back now with like things like Timbleweed Park and, you know, re-releases of uh, Grim Fandango is another one I really, really love. Oh, I love that. Uh, and Day of the Tentacle as well is another one. If I had to pick favorites, it would probably be Monkey Island 2, Day of the Tentacle and Grim Fandango. They're my three favorites, but uh, I love them. I love everything. King's Quest, all that pioneering stuff that the the Williams, uh, Ken and Roberta Williams made, like they, they created the genre basically. So we owe a lot to them. But yeah. Loads. I can't, I can't pick. <laughs> it's so much fun to like read about them all in succession, you know, because um, like so many of them I played in isolation, you know. And so in particular, like when I got to the section on uh, Toonstruck, like the Christopher Lloyd game. Yeah. I 
I was like, oh my gosh, like I didn't, I didn't make that up. That's a real game. <laughs> I, have, I remember playing it from like 20 something years ago, but I've never heard it mentioned anywhere. Never talked to another person about it. It was just something that like, uh, you know, my parent like picked out of a discount bin and, and yeah. me. And so it was really nice to see that like other people played these games and that they were well received and that like, they were like there were communities around them too like family communities like uh yours playing this together yeah. and also like a lot of this was also i guess uh simultaneous with like the rise of the internet at home too and like people were talking about them online too and you know it's kind of nice that they were like they're both kind of isolated experiences because you're playing alone but then you do like connect with other people about them you know that's it. Absolutely. I think it's great. Um, I'm really happy to hear that, actually, that you can now, if you ever, if anyone ever questions you on Eastrock's <laughs> existence, you can be like, well, look, look, it's in a book. This yeah. guy knows about it. <laughs> but that's it. You think when you, like you said, you're so isolated playing these games, you're like, I'm the only one who knows about this. And then when you find someone else, you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe someone else actually knows. My brother is a huge fan of that game. He really, really likes it. And yeah, it's great to get those things out there. And, you know, things like the neighborhood with its stop motion. You know, I remember seeing that when I was a kid and I love anything to do with stop motion um so i saw that and i was like oh my god a game in stop motion where you can click and move this character like and i thought like you no one knows what this is and but they do now now that you have access to the internet and social media you can see everything is appreciated in some way so it's yeah. great yeah that is really nice and you know another thing that interested me too was that like um you know obviously i knew that a lot of these games were kind of franchises that like released over long periods of time but i never really like you know, thought about like, oh, this game was produced for like over 25 years, you know, like, and I think we tend to think now about like movies having created like franchises that take like years and years to tell, but like video games were kind of in that space first. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I agree. Yeah. And to see them come back the way that, you know, we get several different reboots and remakes of movies uh, these days is, is a good thing. I think it's, it's more palatable with games because, you're in control and it will be hopefully a different or an enhanced experience with with movies it's tougher because it can be kind of disrupting your your nostalgia or your memories or you know whatever but with games uh it's easier i think to have two things coexist but yeah these games are you know there's obviously a reason that they're so long running broken sword uh the series that the publisher that i liaise with he, he really loves that like they just had a, a sixth game announced you know a few days ago and, and that's that series started in the 90s as well. So it's great. I think these, these, there's obviously an appetite. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about like um, maybe what's next for you. Are you writing about video games going forward? Like what's in the, I know it's hard to talk about things that aren't happening yet, but like uh, yeah. where's your writing headed? <laughs> um, my writing's headed, yeah, it's still stuck in the gaming sphere for the foreseeable future. I have a, I have a book that came out uh, last month about uh, uh, video games based on movies. So it has 300 or so games like, you know, Aladdin, you know, it has your classic Disney, it has all the Star Wars games, Indiana Jones, uh, Blair Witch, all these oh. games that came from movie franchises. So that came out last month. This one that we're talking about now should be out soon. Um, and then next year, there'll be a part two to the movie uh, games, one which goes from 2001 up till now, let's say. And after that, I have a, another history book that covers gothic video games instead of the adventure video games. So games like, uh, uh, yeah, I have... Um, a book on the history of gothic video games coming out uh, at some point next year. So that'll be covering things like Castlevania, Legacy of Cain, uh, Ghosts and Goblins, anything that has a bit of a spooky uh, theme to it. So it's not so much a genre, more a, uh, what would you say, uh, an aesthetic. 
that's that's my near future. <laughs> nice. I'm interested in like uh, a lot of that stuff, like the the recent book about video game movies um, or movie video games. I'm sorry, I got the, yeah. <laughs> the order wrong. No, there's, there, there is two of them. So yeah, there's there's <laughs> one on video game movies and then there's the movie game one. So yeah, <laughs> it's directions is super interesting. I think you know because I played a lot of those video games in the 90s that the Disney ones like Aladdin that you mentioned and Lion King and you know it was a really interesting way as a kid to like experience a movie again um I'm also super interested in this gothic project because like horror gaming is something that I am like I consider myself like a like a spooky uh enthusiast like I love horror movies and horror books but like horror games or spooky games have always scared me so much more <laughs> than yeah. just things that you are watching or reading because you're just a little bit more involved you know and so yeah I'm very excited for that project that sounds super cool <laughs> that's great thank you yeah I'm really happy to do that one because I'm very much you know I can't wait for Halloween already <laughs> and it's only August um so yeah I'm very excited about that book coming out I've seen uh, PDFs of it and it's looking really good so I'm, I'm really happy with it a lot of Capcom survival horror stuff in it as well and I actually revisit the seventh guest and the eleventh hour in it too because they're to me they're they're really quintessential gothic experiences you know spooky old mansion lots of bump in the night that kind of stuff so yeah this book is going to be it's a little less focused in that it's not all on one genre but I think people who like you know games with ghouls and zombies and you know, big castles, vampires, all that kind of stuff. We like this, I hope. Oh, cool. Well, I hope that you'll uh, maybe consider coming back to the show to talk about that one when it's uh, coming out into the world, because it sounds really I cool. I would love that. Yeah, I'd absolutely love that. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been really lovely. And I think uh, I'm very excited for our patrons to uh, read this and for me to have lots of video game discussions with them. So thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's been great. <laughs> thank you. Okay, listeners, you'll be able to pick up the history of the adventure video game on uh, September 30th, I believe, over here. And um, by the time that you hear this, it'll be out in the world. So pick it up. Go to your favorite library or independent bookstore, wherever you like to get your books and pick it up. Thank you so much for joining us. It is now time to close this chapter. It's time to close this chapter of Turn the Page. Join us for the next episode.